Hey, so this is bonus episode 15 with Charlie Harris talking about the Rose Bowl. I met up with Charlie on his front porch in August in the evening. We got to sit down and chat about his adventures with running and co-owning the Rose Bowl Tavern in Urbana, Illinois. You'll notice that we ended up recording with our phones. You may happen to hear cars going by on cobblestone roads, cicadas, wind chimes, which is my personal favorite, crickets, and birds chirping. There's a point at which the wind even picks up. So, hey, that's some Urbana shit right there. Thank you, Charlie, for doing the interview and spending some time with me just chatting about going through the pandemic, RBTV, doing outdoor shows, building a new stage, and what could make a better music scene. Tune in and enjoy this bonus episode with Charlie Harris of the Rose Bowl Tavern. This is Champagne is also a band podcast. One songwriter, one song. I'm Sven, your host for a journey into the music of Champaign-Urbana. Recorded in the Blue Box studio with a songwriter from the Champaign-Urbana music scene, past or present. Champagne is also a band podcast is proud to be a part of the Champagne Showers podcast network. Welcome to Champagne is Also Band Podcast. Today I'm talking with Charlie Harris, the owner of the Rose Bowl Tavern. Part owner. Yeah. Part owner, yeah, yes, yeah, yeah. I, of course. Over the last year, in talking with most of my guests, when I mention a favorite venue, so many of them are saying that it's their favorite venue. They've been impressed at how the Rose Bowl was able to kind of pivot through the pandemic. I guess first I want to offer my kudos to say, like, it's been amazing that you've been able to really make it a thriving thing. And um, it's been, I, I've just been really impressed by it. But I guess the best place to start would be, so when did you decide that you would go in with another, it's two people? Yeah, uh, Martin Stromberg and Sam Payne. Most people know Martin Stromberg either these days from his time as uh, one of the manager's regular bartenders at the Iron Post. Okay. Um, oh, before 2019 when we started at the Rose Bowl. And then also he was Chachi of Chachi and the Banditos. Gotcha. Oh, he continues to be Chachi, but yes. right now there is no Banditos. Of uh, his, but gotcha, yes. and you you also said uh, and Sam Payne, yeah, who which, um, m- hot iron string band, yeah, hot iron string band, um, corn desert ramblers that have um, we used to play a long time ago. Uh, Sam hosted the Hoot Nanny and started the Hoot Nanny um, years ago. Okay, um, has since passed that on to uh, Emily McCown. When did you all decide that uh, purchasing the Rose Bowl and like picking up the reins of the Rose Bowl were, was like the thing to do. Mm-hmm. So myself and Sam were on the road with Bones Drugs, 
and we're in the van and when you're in the van with the band there's a lot of time to just like banter and be ridiculous and whatever yeah. and we thought it was funny oh all this traveling and loading gear and all this we should just settle down and buy the rose bowl mm. and um it's a riot to think about um settle down that's a funny way to put it um and we would goof off about it. And Sam was hosting the Hootenanny at the time. He had a friendship and working relationship with Steve Campbell, who did own the Rose Bowl prior to us. One point, Sam, I don't know, they were hanging out, and Sam brought it up. Steve was almost 70 years old at the time, and brought it up to Steve, like, hey, what do you think? Like, would you think about selling the Rose Bowl? And Steve, who is an old school dude, but real friendly, but still sort of with a smug look on his face. It's like, well, we should talk to, you know, in response to Sam. And then after a couple emails, Sam sort of facilitated myself and Martin and Sam and Steve all getting together to talk about what that might look like and yeah. uh, what Steve needed and thought was fair for it. That's the short story. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, I guess with that, with that in mind, you know, uh, what, what was the date that you, well, or, or what year was it? Cause it feels like, um, that you got the Rose Bowl and all of a sudden like the pandemic hit, but I know it wasn't, I don't it think it was that close, feel but like it feels that. like it, it was that feel way. like that for sure. So the conversation I just described between Steve and Sam and us all getting together was about November of 2018. Okay. And March 1st of 2019 was the day we got the bar. Oh my gosh. So, so it was like a year yeah, before. Yeah, so it was a year. None of us had ever run a brick and mortar. Martin had experience managing a bar. Sam has lots of experience in property management and carpentry and refurbishing projects and that kind of stuff. And I had a lot of experience touring, but the brick and mortar aspect of the buck stopped with us. None of us had any experience with that, How, you know, getting licensed, all of that, talking to the city, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So everything from that date in November 2018 to March 1st was pretty much had nothing to do with hitting the ground. So March 1st, we have the keys, we have the liquor license, and we just start running the bar. Okay. For those that were familiar with the Rose Bowl prior to our tenure, we, myself and Martin, drove to Springfield, picked up our liquor license, drove right back to the Rose Bowl, and I started cleaning and taking down NASCAR. Uh, oh, okay, yeah. Paraphernalia and yeah. So that's what happened the first day. You know, we hadn't we hadn't touched the place prior to our first day, which was also you know a four band feature that night. And then we huh. just hit the ground running. A year later, we were starting to feel like okay, we have a handle on this. And then the pandemic hit. Give me a little description of what the conversation when the three of you realized that there was going to be a the, the lockdown potential the shutdown. like yeah i mean we don't so, it, it, we don't have to get it no, i'm mean, no, no, just no. saying um, like, yeah i mean we uh, part of what the reason myself martin and sam found ourselves as partners in this project is because of uh, shared sentiment for going with the flow, going with what came at us, which is we didn't aggressively pursue buying a bar. Sam sort of made a comment to right. a friend and we found ourselves buying a bar. So there was a trend in 
just going with the flow, going with the punches from the very beginning. When we found out the shutdown came, we were just simply put in a position to say, okay, now what do we do? Um, this was before any conversations of any relief coming down the pipeline from the federal government right. or from the states or anything. All you knew is you could not have your doors open. That's all we knew. We knew that it was unrealistic to cover our bills with anything that wasn't the model, right? Right. You know, the to-go stuff, yes, it helped. It was mostly a way to keep our staff engaged and our patrons engaged and whatever, but wasn't going to pay the bills. And then the live stream stuff, that was sort of where, as people that tuned into any of that would know, that's where our, like our focus went and our energy went. We just knew right away, okay, we can't have people in here, we can't throw shows, we can't throw parties, et cetera, et cetera. Well, what is the way we can still provide entertainment, right? right? And yeah. so that's the road we took. Jake Matz, who operates a project that he calls Multimodal Productions, is an audio, video, and all things electronic and, how do I say this, like tech art, anything tech yeah. art, Jake Matz is a mad scientist of, and he's a good friend of ours. So I think it was the date, the Monday, whatever that was, March 15th, March 16th of 2020, myself, Jake, and Martin got together and talked about what does a live stream setup look like in our space? What products were still available? Because at that point, like everyone was sold out of webcams right. Oh my. right away. We put together an online shopping cart, ordered some stuff, ran to each of our houses and picked up the little piddly stuff we needed to make it work and yeah. just started piloting that. I find it remarkable that the way that you thought about proceeding was more about keeping people engaged and not necessarily I mean if I'm misinterpreting this feel free to correct me um, but keeping people engaged even though it might not be something that was going to make you money or be profitable which I I, I mean yeah I mean that again that I guess yes co totally and I I guess I appreciate you pointing that out. I never really thought about it because with what we're doing as musicians and as part of the Champaign-Urbana music scene, etc., and I think anyone a part of the scene knows, like, can you make, like, some scratch? Can you make a little bit of money? Sure. Can you supplement other odd jobs and make your living and still enjoy your art? Yeah. But if you're doing it just for the money then you're in it for the wrong reason. Hmm. And, yeah. Um, I mean, I'd venture to say anywhere you're in it for the wrong reason. Maybe that's uh, more anecdotal or something or an opinion. Um, but I say it, um, and I believe it to be true because you're just not going to be able to make that much right. money. So maybe it's like a curse and a blessing. Is that like we don't get the wrong people because maybe they were trying and they're like, eh, I'll do something else. And then they don't bother well, yeah. I mean, I guess, I guess to me, at least from my perspective, watching that happen in the RBTV, which is what you eventually named the um, the streaming yeah, program, like a media, um, uh, 
whatever, yeah. Is that it, it really did... I mean, it, the thing that, that we can't really calculate in terms of what that meant to people is that I felt in some ways it, it gave hope, which I think, like, I don't know if you... Uh, being from the end from the Rose Bowl um, and being the one that was striving every day to keep these things going and, and music alive, I think there were a lot of people that really saw that as something that just gave people reason to keep going, you know, and, and I, I don't know, I don't mean to gush or anything, but I, I appreciate that effort and like the way that the Rose Bowl was able to manage to continue to keep on keeping on, which yeah. I think is um, admirable. Nice. And I think that, that I, it, like, as an example of a business that was trying to keep things going and keep things thriving, um, even when it was difficult, I think that was a great example for people to look at as as something to strive for and to continue to take pride in. And I don't know. I, I just think that that was... Um, I, I'm just saying... I think and maybe people have expressed this to you but i think a lot of people really um took a lot of me extra meaning out of that and i think that's important so i i just i wanted to express that myself because it was cool to see that happening yeah i mean i i really appreciate that and yeah it's wonderful to, to hear people's stories about and for people to share their feelings about how it helped them through it or it was just inspiring um or it was just fun to watch or whatever the that you know it's it's great to hear that of course you know when you, yeah you're putting your heart into something and your time you know it's great to hear that it's affecting other people positively you know? my next question is like so as you progressed and you even had the opportunity once the weather got better to have shows out in the in the parking lot outside describe a little bit about the the process in terms of getting that going you know it's a long time ago and i think a lot of people including myself it's hard to really remember the day-to-day what were the rules at that point how was the general public reacting what was sort of the consensus in the community etc it's hard to remember exactly where that was at but what i do remember is the city of urbana sort of reached out and was offering special use permits to do outdoor things that you hadn't done before and every business was going to have a different take on that for us really the only option was to use some version of the parking lots that are directly north of the bar. I assume the people listening to this are familiar. It's where our, the parking lot patio landed. The city of Urbana reached out to, as far as I could tell, to all the businesses asking, what can we do? Or what do you need help with? What sort of assistance do you need? You know, And for us, that was our only option. So we right. asked them. They were very accommodating in expediting any sort of permitting um you know essentially it was like once we put together a plan and accommodated a couple pretty reasonable things which were getting our insurance to cover the parking lot because your 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 liquor liability is for a actual address your insurance so we had to have that extended to the parking lot which really wasn't an issue and then we had to put together a plan that showed the city how we were going to keep 
cars from coming through into people, you know, right. reasonable. So we put together this plan, put together the barricade, city came, said, okay, this looks good. Then we got a little slip of paper from the mayor that said, okay, you have this until further notice. Because at that point, I do remember this, the language of that, I'll just explain it since that does seem sort of strange, was that no one knew how quick things were going to change right. um, in terms of were we going to have to be shut down completely again. So the logic was the parking lot's the city property, right? Yeah. So the city could say there's a shutdown and the city could say, all right, we gave you this lot until further notice and here's your further notice because we need to stop these gatherings, right? Mm. It, whatever. It, it makes sense. It's... It's pub. It's their property, et cetera, et cetera. Anyways, from there, it became how do we navigate this? Because like all shows were canceled, and I'm primarily a performer, and then I also uh, work a side hustle in Chicago at Wrigley Field. All my other work was canceled, so I was available. It was just like this is all that is available to me in terms of work. First, what we did is we went around to the electric companies in town and grabbed the old big, those big spools. Um, yeah. And that's what our tables are. Uh-huh. So we had to prep those. We found pretty quickly that they were kind of wonky, <laughs> you know, the integrity of them being used as a table wasn't so hot, so we had to shim them out. Then we found the top was really hard to clean and it splintered, so we had to sand them down and top them, et cetera, et cetera. All, right. All this stuff, blah, 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 blah. Anyways, that's just part of like the, the little piddly stuff for the journey. Then eventually, whatever this is, about the beginning of July 2020, we start just booking shows and going for it. You know, we were hauling a PA in and out of the bar every day, just about every day, I guess. last It's hard to even remember. Last year, we didn't do that many shows. We did some stuff, but it wasn't every day. I'm sure this is like any small business owner will we'll test that there's things that you don't expect to happen and things that you don't expect to like come up as an obstacle and then when they come up you you just have to face them so i mean i feel you I, I, yeah at this point i, th- I don't know I, I know i can speak for martin and sam um you know the other two guys involved in the rose Bowl ownership and our staff like we wouldn't i wouldn't say i expect anything but i'll just say nothing was nothing's gonna surprise us at this point it's just been so crazy when did you start revitalizing the stage in oh the rebuild yeah inside yeah the, the so tavern. last year 2020 i just described opening the patio simultaneously we were also doing the live streams um and then i believe november 1st was a sunday and that was our planned last day and the weather was atrocious and then november oh. 7th i think was the following saturday which was also the day joe biden was officially i mean <laughs> that yeah, whole thing. Well, yeah. but you know essentially it was it looked like pretty clearly joe biden won the electoral college and I remember this because it all happened at once. It was also a really beautiful day, and we had rescheduled our last show of the season for that day. We do our last show. The next day, we take down the tent. We pack up all the tables and chairs, wrap everything in a tarp in the parking lot, barricade it in, and we go to doing the live streams. At this point, we know that there's a lot we want to do, and we also know just looked so clearly like we weren't going to be open through the winter. Like, right. That was just not going to happen. 
and we would have started right then on on that project but it's an expensive project to do and lumber is extremely expensive <laughs> as most people know so we had to wait to see what the federal grant stuff looked like right and at some point we went back to doing the live streams we're not really sure so people know it as save our stages right is yeah. sort of what it was lobbied as and then it became the shuttered venue operator grant svog they were developing that and the applications didn't come out till the beginning of may they were supposed to come out as early as february then it got pushed back got pushed back anyways at some point in about January, we said, okay, we're going to put the live streams on hold and we're going to start this project because we just need to take a chance in an ideal world or an ideal scenario, given our little, our little world, we're never closed again. Mm. And the rebuilding of the stage and the stuff that we're doing is going to take at least a month. Anyway, so it was maybe about early February we started that project. Mm. We're still working on it, but partly because we're just really taking our time. There's a lot going on with the shows that we're doing and figuring out the design and also moving forward. We're going to have the stage set up for live streams and for, you know, your tried and true venue performances. And so we're kind of yeah. doing a lot with it. So that was the long way to say we started that in about February of 2021 because we just didn't know. We just mm. had no idea. And right now it's all looking good. The yeah. shuttered venue operator grant. And this will actually be the first time I publicly tell anyone this. We did get the grant. So our stage Sweet. got saved, so to speak, as did a lot of venues. I mean, it's essentially a bailout for the mm. entertainment industry. Yeah, it really is. Things are looking pretty good, except for, you know, what's going on with the Delta variant. And um, I think everyone sort of knew it was coming. Right. More or less. But um I think we're lucky here in Champaign-Urbana. A lot of people, people, there's a lot of vaccinated people. You know, yeah, so that's good. The thing that I've been watching, and one of the things I kept thinking about was, now we're learning that we can have these live streams at the same time and and be able to stream it from most devices. I'm just curious if with that live stream, do you do you anticipate having just even the regular shows that you have going on at the Rose Bowl? also having those as a live stream yeah it's going to depend on a couple things that is the plan the redesign of the stage and the sound system and a bit of the room itself is to install the cameras and the microphones and the software that makes it super easy you know it sounds simplistic but the truth is with installing the equipment and um, doing the back-end work. And like I said, we're working with Jake Metz, who's a mad scientist, and a couple other mm. nutty uh, sound and video people. Uh, Jimmy Myers and Bob Hen are, are heavily involved, and Martin's really good with that stuff, as well as Sam. The idea is we install the cameras, our soundboard will accommodate recording directly from the show, and we'll have room mics, and have you have all this installed, and you have it dialed in, and more or less, you just hit a button, you know, and you can program the computer on the back end. Jake is talking about like, well, maybe it can just read off the calendar and literally all you have to do is hit a button okay. and the computer will tell Facebook, the calendar says it's this show, so just title 
oh the Facebook yeah post as what the calendars whatever anyway I'll, I'll believe it when i see it <laughs> you know eventually the robots will just t- be playing the shows as well i'm just kidding no, i'm just I... kidding i'm not gonna book any robots maybe maybe one a wait, year wait, what was the band fun. from uh yes yes I know okay they, they play blackbird <laughs> yes Pygmalion. yeah i didn't see it but i heard a Shoot, lot about and it I, now i can't remember so i'm gonna have to voice over and put that in later because i i can find it but i just can't think of it right now but yeah uh-huh. there were robots playing pygmalion just as promised the band that played pygmalion that was made up of robots and actually one live person was called captured by robots and they played in 2019, September 26th, at the Blackbird in Urbana. Boom. Now back to the show. Yeah, the idea is, at the very least, we can have one camera that's the width of the stage, or cropped to be small, whatever, very easily. So you just have a camera set up. It's the width of the stage, it's whatever audio is being sent into the room, right? Also... If you want to be more involved, you can have what we're hoping is we set up essentially a control booth somewhere in the building. Yeah. Um, and you have someone able to mix for the live stream. So we'll have multiple cameras, they'll have the audio, and they can yeah. really dial it in and do the whole thing. You know, of course, like you, you know, you got to pay people to do this and you have to manage it, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. How far this all goes. Yeah. I mean, the part that I, I'm, I really, I'm, I'm like almost ready to kind of cry a little bit because, oh. <laughs> well, because like even the fact that you've basically had it, it's, it's been a really, it seems like a really shitty time getting this to work. I'm adding my own opinion to that, but it's really amazing to me. You just have this thing like, I'm just going to get right back up and I'm just going to keep doing it. And like, let's go for the big picture. Let's let's just have the hope like as if it's not going to be hard it's like i love that you're thinking big and like you're gonna make it even bigger after all this the interesting thing is and i really appreciate that and that's awesome but like we're sitting here and we're talking about this and you have that to share and you know we collaborate with performers or working with the sound engineers and the video engineers like everyone it all lifts it up you know yeah it's really like by no stretch like there's no way to stretch the imagination for me to say, like, this is just us willing it. Like, look at us. Yeah. Like, it really is a huge feedback loop of our yeah. music scene. And a bigger scene, we work with touring artists, and you, you see what other kind of productions people are doing. And, you know, there's something, too, just like... It's sort of like a play on, like, the universal consciousness sort of thing. Or I forget what it's called. You know, they have these theories that, like, agriculture popped up all over the world. Hmm. at the same time or something right you know and it's like well is that your chance or is that like something in the ether right inspired you know what i mean yeah i don't know i don't know if that's relevant i like it though if if this pandemic and isolation has taught us anything is that oh my god how important is live music and being able to interact on that emotional level based on someone's performance like how important is that and even when we had it in the virtual realm somehow we still managed to have a connection with the music so you saying more of that collective consciousness it's like 
that was exhibited through some of these virtual things. Like we still were able to connect in a very, maybe in a limited fashion, but it was like we, it's, it was proof that we needed that, that bigger picture of having, I don't know. I feel like maybe that's a little random, but no, um, but I love that, that it, it just, I hope that we take the lessons that we learned over the pandemic and like, realize how much we need each other and how much how important the music scene is and how much um us supporting each other is so like super important so um i think so i mean just to jump in on that on that yeah. train there since we reopened the patio and started doing live shows again in what was that the beginning of may oh yeah we do at least two shows a day maybe three shows many is for events <laughs> and yeah. you know they'll start at 1 p.m we had a show that didn't start till 11 p.m last week it like doesn't matter really it seemed i mean you know everyone's got their flavor of what band they like but like any scene of people any time of day like people are supportive in a way that i haven't seen in a long time yeah. and i do think that like you know this is a whole different topic but there is an element that, like, I remember going to shows in my late teens and through my 20s and playing shows in my early 20s and mid-20s, and there seemed to be more people out and excited about live mm-hmm. music, generally. Um, and it seems like there's been a rekindled, and, you know, of course, like, we have no choice but to look for the silver linings mm-hmm. during a time like this, but I do think that's part of it you know yeah it's like there is a rekindled like oh i didn't realize how much i valued that how much i missed that how much i needed that right you know you know something i want to talk about just because it was sort of i was tiptoeing around it there a little bit and you brought this up at the beginning you were asking artists what their favorite venue is etc etc and it's super nice of course i love that people love the rose bowl um, I will say though that we want more music venues in our right. in our town in our area. We re- we do we need it because you want to have variety. A room, a space is unique. It is that space, you know, whether it's the location or the decor or the size or the flow of the room or something. Every space is going to be different, and it makes for a unique experience. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. Um, oh, of yeah. course, and then also you have, you're going to have different people that work there. All the things that go into it, it's just important for a scene. Like, having one music venue is cool in its own way. And, of course, as, like, the proprietor, like, yes, like, let's be honest, it's beneficial. Because, like, right. if someone wants to see live music, they're coming to the Rose Bowl. And, like, yeah, that helps us. But big picture, music scene... Um, entertainment, nightlife, day life in our hometown. Like you want right. it, you want it to be thriving and lush. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I feel like having more venues also encourages more musical acts too, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, honestly, totally get that. Like it, it would feed itself. Like the, the idea that maybe, you know, you could go and see this one band at some venue that you like that style of music but but you're not too keen on the whole the whole set you just want to see that one band and then you're like 
I came out for that one band and then you're like, oh, what's this going on over at the Rose Bowl? I'll go over there. But I would never have gone out mm-hmm. in the first place if I hadn't have sure. seen that one yeah. show. So it's just... This, um, all I mean, the little permutations of what could happen if there's more places. The one that right. comes to mind for me, my m- involvement at the Rose Bowl, um, I guess we didn't talk about this, I do the calendar. You know, I curate the schedule, I work with the bands and the sound engineers, and that's my that's my lane, so yeah. to speak. What I think is really missing right now is, right now, Nola's Rock Bar is a little smaller, um, and then Canopy Club is enormous, but they're not even open yet. Right. Um, you have some outdoor venues. But what having multiple places provides is, one, just more opportunities, like you said. It's just like yeah. more, more bands get to play, more bands maybe pop up because there's more opportunities to play. But also, like, let's say a band really wants uh, to play a Friday or Saturday. Right? Oh, yeah. They really want to play a Friday or Saturday night. But the Rose Bowl, with our capacity and like what we need to do, it's like, well, I can't really... Unfortunately, I can't accommodate you on a Friday or Saturday because those are like, right? Those are the nights everyone knows. Like that's the party night. But having more venues than a band that's like, okay, well we can't play to the two hundred capacity at the Rose Bowl. But if there's a room that's, you know, you think upstairs at Mike and Molly's, right? It's like that room was like didn't matter how small you were because if there were ten people up there, that show felt awesome. Uh huh. You know, and then it's yeah. like cool, a band that is getting their wheels greased and getting it going and getting new fans and playing for people they can play a friday or saturday night in a small room and have a badass show and these little pipelines of it are like you know they're they're a real part of like of a music scene you know same way as house shows are so important and it seems like there's some sprouting up and obviously summertime with the students gone they're definitely they wane. I, I have um, one last one last question. You've kind of addressed a lot of it. It's been something that because of the pandemic, and I've been asking all of my guests this, is like, what makes a good music scene to you? And then on top of that, what could Champaign-Urbana do better? Mm. I know. It's, That's a hard one. What makes a good music scene to me? Or you could even do what does Champagne Urbana do really well and then what does Champagne Urbana need to improve on? Maybe that be an easier way to look at it cuz it, it is a bit that first question is a big bite that's hard to t- take. Totally. I mean, yeah. I think Champagne Urbana has an amazing music scene. I love it. I grew up in Chicago and moved here to Urbana and had never really had an interest in leaving because Uh. music is my passion, playing, seeing it, writing, collaborating, et cetera, et cetera. And I never have, I'm satiated always. So for me, this music scene is great. Maybe the biggest part of it is the diversity of styles. Mm. I would go so far to say is like that's maybe the most important part. If you're talking like big picture, it comes in different levels because someone might say music scene, but what, and maybe what they're talking about is like a niche. Is like they're yeah. like I'm into bluegrass, 
And so when I talk about the music scene, I'm talking about that. Uh-huh. I'm talking about that branch. I think that in big picture, we have an amazing music scene. I think that what really... E- the diversity of styles does that. And I think that the presence of good venues, I think more good venues would be great, like I said. But mm. for as long as I've been here, there's always been some good venues. Great venues, maybe not. Good venues, yes. Like they do the trick. Like it's a good space. They'll have bands there. They do the thing. To me, that is Champagne Urbana. Is like they get the job done. Yeah. I mean, that's really like if you would sum up Champagne Urbana, gets the job done. <laughs> um, totally. There's a lot of exceptional musicians, but there's not a lot of exceptional venues, which. I, I get I get that. It's tough. Um, I think that the other thing that is also maybe equally important is the heart. The heart. Mm. There's just like a lot of people that care a lot and make their art unabashedly with reckless abandonment. You know, it's like that's just, there's just so many people creating and I think that's that's probably the most important part. And then the other stuff is also necessary. But, like, you can have a music scene seemingly, like, with just house shows. I don't see why not, if you had to. I'm sure sure we would. If if we didn't buy the Rose Bowl and there were literally no venues right now, I'm sure there would be a venue. Right. You know? What can we do better? Um, I do think that something we can do better is... Oh, it's so hard. I think what we can do better is <laughs> that's really a hard question right? um i mean if it was easy everybody would be it, like we would have addressed it by now and everybody'd be doing it right you know yeah, so yeah yeah um i think like maybe and of course like i i own a music venue and i'm i'm a promoter you know so i have like that lens and i'm i'm working at it too i think like spreading the word Mm. There's something we can do better. Like, I just think about the size of Champaign-Urbana, which is, what, 150,000 plus or something? Oh, yeah, easily. Um, Yeah, I'd have to drive by, uh, what is it, the the, the, uh, Black Dog and Champagne to remember exactly what the population, you know, there's that population. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, I think Urbana's like 38,000 on the sign on Race Street wherever that is or where I, I think we're around two, we are like between the two it's like 200 200,000 to 250 okay. I think yeah so that's but. that's a big town that's those are the, you know I mean it's a big town small city it's a big town of course I, I can interject later with the, the correct numbers when I look it up okay <laughs> okay so maybe I don't know how many people are in Champaign-Urbana so here are the figures looking everything up In 2019, the population of Urbana was 42,214. Also in 2019, the population of Champaign, Illinois was 88,909. But give me some credit because the undergraduate and graduate enrollment currently stands at 51,605, so bringing a grand total of 182,728. So, I wasn't that close, but give me a break, because I live in Sedoris with a population of 480. 
and I already said like I'm seeing people come out in a way that I haven't seen in a long time yeah. or ever and people are being really supportive and like clearly relishing in it and I think we could just do more of that obviously people have a lot of stuff going on but like there's so many people in the area are more people not going to shows because they legitimately don't want to okay um, I think it more has to do with that people don't realize to what extent there is great art and great talent being performed in Champaign Urbana. That's what I'll say. I'll say like spreading the word, promoting. These are things that I'm working on and I know I'm working my ass off to do it, so I'm not going to tell anyone else they need to work harder at it, (laughs) you know? Well, I mean, it's just, it's, it's one of those things like it's cool to talk about it too you know it's not like oh, some big important. secret you know I, I do this podcast and every once in a while it's like if I let it slip that you know I do this podcast it, there's there's like oh we have a music scene and it boggles my mind when I try to think of all the people that oh when you're all the not new- a podcaster when you're it, out in the in the normal world talking about like groceries or something and you let it slip that's what you're talking about yeah when i'm not when i'm not podcasting or when i'm uh, yeah when i'm talking to someone else and they're just like oh we have a music scene and it's just like oh yeah i mean like i can't believe that when i think about how many musicians are out there that i still have yet to interview still that i have to reach out to it's like there's so many and yet there's not that exposure that like most people don't the average joe or jane or whomever doesn't know that there's all these bands out there and these groups and these musicians that are playing and creating new and original music and and also even cover bands that are amazing and do a great job of covering classics or whatever you want to call it oh that's something that i think every music scene can do better i don't care who you are don't be a hater. Don't be right. a hater. Yeah. Like, I'm, I actually feel like very few people in our scene are haters, but I'm sure, and you know, everyone does it, but like, you brought up cover bands, and I'm thinking, like, yeah. oh, that's an easy, that's one that like people hate on. And oh, yeah. it's like, don't do that. Cause like, they're making music, they're getting people out to enjoy music. That's the meat. Right? You know, that's the meat. Maybe that cover band's a gateway band to your weird original music band. Or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, (laughs) you know, know, they all. I don't know. The one thing I I do like about cover bands is that sometimes I have songs that I don't necessarily give much thought to, just hearing it on the radio. But when I see it done by a cover band, it's like it, it brings new life to a song I've already heard, but I'm like, oh. Like, you, mm-hmm. you get a new sense of it. And and I think that's something that we undervalue with cover bands sometimes, is, like, sometimes it brings that new, like, oh, oh, that's actually kind of awesome, you know? Mm-hmm. So, but, Charlie, I thank you so much for, like, taking the time. And I know you're you're busy as hell, and, like... Oh, yeah, I, I, it was great to chat with you. It's great. And, and thank you, and I wish all the best of luck with the Rose Bowl coming up and all the things that you do and all the bands that you're in. I I just, thanks for taking the time. Oh yeah, man. Thank you. Thanks for having me on.
Thank you for listening to Champagne is Also a Band podcast. This is Charlie reminding you great music is out there. Go find it where you live. a wrap. You almost have an NPR voice. It's so good. South <laughs> <laughs> on the inside.